And so we're going to uh, start in verse 1. It says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So I want you to remember that part. It says, so the promise, the word that came to Elijah, he said, I will send rain on the land. Verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his administrator. Obadiah, here, uh, kind of a side note, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hid them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through all of the land and the springs and the valleys, and maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we don't have to kill any of our animals. So there, everybody is, it's, this, this land is in chaos right now because there's no water for these animals. There's no rain. It's been three years, and so everybody's like going crazy. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah shows up, and Obadiah recognized him. And he said, it's, is it really you, Elijah, my lord? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So they've been looking for Elijah over these last three years. And finally, Elijah is going to present himself to them. He's saying, go tell him, because, again, he's not afraid of the confrontation. So as Obadiah was walking along, oh, I'm sorry, I uh, what have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you're handling your servant over to me, Ahab, to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or a kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to him and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. And if I go tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel was killing the prophets? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you're telling me to go say Elijah is here? He will kill me. As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet with Ahab and told him, Ahab, Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah and he said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, again, confrontation, and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ezra who, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent the word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And that's my question tonight. That's the first point that I want to ask you. It's not really a point. It's a question. How long will you waver between two opinions? Because, see, the only thing worse than a Cowboys fan is somebody that says they're a Cowboys and an Eagles fan, right? You can't, you can't be a Cowboys fan and an Eagles fan, right? I'm from Denver. So you can't be a Bronco fan and a Raiders fan. You can't, you can't, that's just weird. You can't play for rivals like that. So I think Elijah is saying you need to be hot or cold. Pick one. If, if the Lord your God, if you believe in the Lord your God, then, then believe in him. If you believe in Baal, then, then believe in him. And that's my question is, see, we, we may not worship the God of rain and fertility, 
But what is our false God? Are we worshiping someone else's opinion of us? How long will you waver between two opinions? Because if you trust what God says about you, then you're not going to believe what the enemy tells you in your mind. If you trust God's opinion of you, then it doesn't matter what you see when you look in the mirror. If you trust God's opinion of you, it doesn't matter what you're fed in the middle of the night when you have fear and anxiety. That doesn't matter because you're not wavering between two opinions. You're going to pick one, and that's what you're going to believe. See, you may not follow Baal, the god of rain, but what about all the energy and effort you put into your career, into this job, just so, you know, you think it'll make, you can make it rain, you know? Oh, that was a bad pastor joke. I'm sorry. Um, here's, the, here's the thing that Jesus said. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and you fill in the blank. What is it for you? Because you can't serve God and serve something else. Because, and I don't think it's because God wants to take away all these fun things in our life and wants to, he's like, oh, you're going you're gonna to worship me and you're not going to worship anything else. I think God wants us to himself, but I think he simply knows that he's the unlimited resource. Whatever we need, he knows that we can find it in him and it, there's no limit to it. Everything else that we pour our energy, we pour our effort in, we rely on for joy, hope, peace, all of that stuff runs out. There's a limit. There's a point where our job no longer satisfies. You know, Ray Parker Jr., he was the writer of Ghostbusters, and I remember um, hearing him talk, and he said the worst day of his life was when the Ghostbusters theme hit platinum. When he sold a platinum record of, off that uh, Ghostbusters theme was the worst day of his life because he uh, that's all he dreamed for. That's all he lived for, and he put everything into thinking that would satisfy and when that record went platinum, that was the worst day of his life because he came up empty. It didn't satisfy. What is it for you? What is it that we're thinking is going to give us something, but in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't provide? See, God knows what has a limit. God knows the source that has the limit, and he knows the source that doesn't have a limit. He knows he is the ultimate source that is limitless. There is no limit to what he can provide for us, and he knows that. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on your name of your, on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And see, it's kind of weird because Elijah is asking them to give him to pray for fire when what they need right now is rain, which is the complete opposite. But I think it would make sense for God to answer by rain because it hadn't rained for three years. So it would only make sense for them to say, okay, let's pray for rain and whoever's God provides them with rain Let's, let's go with that. But Elijah knows it would make too much sense because he wanted to make, it, make sure that the circumstances were impossible. Elijah didn't want to leave any, not even a little bit of room for doubt. So he wanted a situation to be completely impossible so there was no doubt. It was People would know beyond a reasonable doubt that God was God and God provided the fire. And that's what God wanted me to tell you all as well. 
Your situation that you think is impossible, that's the perfect situation for God to work in. The situation that's in front of us that we think there's no way this is going to work out. I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. I have no idea how I'm going to push through. That's the perfect That's the perfect platform for God to do his work. He wants it to be impossible because if there's any way for us to say, oh, well, you know, on our way up there, it was getting a little cloudy and uh, I heard some thunder, so it was probably going to rain anyway. God doesn't even want to leave a little bit of doubt. He wants each and every one of you to know he is God and he's the one that's doing it. He wants you to walk out of here, even this sanctuary, he wants you to walk out of here knowing you met with him. That you got a touch from him, from God. Nothing more, nothing less. See, when you leave this building, I believe that God wants you to be able to say, it was because of him why you got a life change. Why your life is changing or why God spoke something to you today. It's not because of the people here. It's not because I'm this excellent communicator and this whatever this good preacher whatever that's why that's why he gave you just a normal guy just sharing what God's doing in my life because see if I got my if I got my communication skills out and I started giving it to you like I did in sixth grade when I was given my dare essay and I took first place and I was like yeah this is my communication skills and I had people crying in the gym talking about I'm never gonna do drugs ever again you know, I could, we could do that. We could just be all about entertainment and communication. But see, then it's like, okay, well, did I get the touch because there was it, the, the communication pulled out my heartstrings? Or was this a touch from God? And that's what God wants to do. I mean, I'm convinced that any life change that you get, it's not going to be because of my communication skills. I'll tell you that right now. It's going to be because the spirit of God is here. Because we create this, this atmosphere for you to come in here and work things out with Jesus. For you to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life however he wants to do it. Whatever he wants to speak to you, that's what we want to do. All we're doing is setting a platform, creating space for you to come in here and do business with Jesus. That's what we're doing here. And that's what everyone that walks in, the, in that door, I want them to know, like, we're not here to be anyone's Holy Spirit. We're not here to tell you what to do or what not to do. We're just here to create a, a platform and an atmosphere for you to work your things out with Jesus. Amen? And that's what church should be about. Because you walk into church and you leave knowing you received a touch from him. I actually heard people say like, oh, yeah, I started going to this church because, because of their worship. And, you know, I really love their worship. And I started like almost like as if worship is a noun and not a verb. Like it's something that it's a reason for going to a church. And it, it was kind of crazy. And I saw somebody else post like they posted on Facebook took a picture of all this church's fancy decorations and stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, this church really knows how to do it and took all these pictures of decorations. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, that's all cool stuff. And don't get me wrong. Like, we're going to, you know, whatever we can get to be informational and, you know, help help with the be a good steward of our facility and try to improve our facility and things like that. But is that really what church is about? Is that really what makes a good church, how fancy it is? Because I've told, my, I've told our team from the very get-go, like, the church, the church that we want to build, if people are looking just for some sexy church, this isn't the one. Like, we're about reaching people. We're about building a community. We're about finding, having life change. We're about people coming here and doing business with Jesus and going out and living their lives following him. 
that's, that's more important to me. Because, I mean, if you're waiting for a fancier sound system or cooler lights or something like that, I would rather spend the money. I mean, we just gave away some, the, the food pantry just gave away groceries to somebody that just came in here and needed food. Those are the things I want to spend the little money we have, not fancier sound systems and everything. Amen? See, I'm looking at each and every one of you, and I'm thinking everyone, everyone that's here, we have a few families out of town. I see change happening in this place. We hear testimonies week after week of people's lives being changed, coming in here, doing business with Jesus, and lives being changed. And that's what church is about. That's what it is, being changed by him, nothing more, nothing less. See, everything else is just an added plus. And thinking about how Elijah was essentially what I thought was testing God and how he basically uh, said, you call down, your, you pray to your God and you call down fire. I pray to my God and I call down fire. And I was, I was in my notes, I put, you know, I don't think we should test God that way. And then as I was literally, as I was preparing, the Lord spoke to me and said, when, you, when you've heard a promise from God, when you know what God has told you, it's not a testing, it's just a trusting. So you're not testing God in a situation like that. It's more of a trusting because you know what God has promised. Remember, he promised, he told, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, I'm going to give rain on the land. So Elijah knew that. See, and if you feel like you're in a drought, you feel like it's been three years and you feel like you're just barely surviving every day. You feel like you're barely making it through the week. You feel like literally emotionally spiritually, mentally, maybe you feel like you're in a drought. Maybe you feel like you haven't had rain. But the reality is, is if you believe the word of God that says no weapon formed against you will prosper, if you believe that, if you believe the promise and the word of the Lord that he has spoke to you, then it's okay for you to walk outside of your door. It's okay to throw yourself on the bed. It's okay for you to stand up in your living room and say, God, give me rain and expect it. Because if there's a promise, it's not testing him. It's just a trusting. And by making that statement, that's exactly what you're doing. It's just trusting in him. And you can wait for it by faith. That's okay. You can expect it by faith. Remember, we get the verdict before any of the evidence lines up. So we know what the promise is. And we get that verdict before, even before, when, when you look with your eyes and it, things look like they're falling apart, you know what's going to happen in the end. Verse 25, Elijah said the, to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they all took the bull, given him, prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. And there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. And just so you know, busy in the original translation means relieving himself. So he's like, he's probably busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Maybe he's had such a long day, Baal is not listening to you. So they shouted louder and, sh and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood, blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. Listen to me. No response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. 
So think about that. There's, it's a, that's a sad scene going on right there. I've seen, I remember watching something, I think, on the Discovery Channel, and literally th there was these guys in the middle of the road, like in the middle of the street, and they were beating each other with these like spike chain type things till they were just like, it was a mass, looked really bad, blood everywhere. And they were doing it in the name of showing devotion to the God that they serve. And it was, there's people all over the world that just, some, even to the point of death, because they're showing their devotion to God, thinking, if I just do this, if I just beat myself up, that shows God how much I love him. No response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. How many times do we find ourselves doing the same thing, trying to earn something from God? trying to do something to show our devotion to him, thinking if we do good things, if we make sure all the bad things are out of our lives, somehow that will show God how much we love him. Somehow that will earn God's love. Or how many times do we run ourselves ragged trying to get to the top of a corporate ladder or something like that only to realize no one paid attention? Or you've been pouring your life into beauty and, and other people's opinion of you and you find that you're left with no answer or no response or maybe you've invested everything you have in your relationship or your marriage or your friendship or something like that thinking you're going to get the joy that you've been looking for thinking you're going to get the peace that you long for only to find no response see only you know what it is for you first samuel 12:21 says and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty and this can even be good things. I mean, I have to be careful not to pour so much into this church and into the business and everything like that at the, at the expense of my family, which those are good things, but I have to be careful or else I'm going to come up empty. See, I only know a little bit about investments and mutual funds and things like that, but if I went in to speak to my financial advisor and I said, yes, I would like to make some investments and he responds with, okay, Mr. Martinez, because that's what he would call me if I was rich and was wanting to do some investments. He would say, okay, Mr. Martinez, um, you will be investing all of this into yada, yada, yada mutual fund. And then my response would be, okay, cool. What's the, what's the rate of return on my investment? Which everyone, that's, a, that's a common question I could ask, right? What's my rate of return? What am I going to get back? If I'm investing this much money, what is it going to give me? To which he responds, well, you're not going to get anything back on your money, but it's a great investment. Would that be a good investment or a bad investment? Good investment or bad investment? Bad investment, right? But we do it every day. We do it every day. And if we could look forward and project what the results are going to be before we invest in it, I think our lives would significantly change. Because the God that we serve is never going to say, do more, try harder, so that we can earn his love. Be better. Do gooder. Um, just making sure y'all are awake. Uh, he's never going to ask us to do that. Because we have to understand and believe that the God of the universe who gives us his grace, who gives us his love, not because we earned it, but because he wants us to do the complete opposite and say, you know what? There's nothing I can do. I surrender. There's nothing I can do to earn it. So, you know, you've heard that saying, God, give, God will never give us more than we can handle. 
That's actually not a true statement. He actually sure will give us more than we can handle. I think he actually wants us to be put with so much pressure because if we could handle it, then where does he come into the picture? If we could handle what he's given us and what we're going through, there's no need for God. But it's in that moment where we feel like, I can't handle it. I'm at my wit's end. How many of y'all have said that? I'm at my end. There's nothing more I can do. I cannot take it anymore. And that's the perfect place for God to step in and say, in your weakness, I am strong. And take over. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and, and he repaired the altar of the, the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar, the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut, it, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering in the wood. Do it again, he said. They did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down. So now we have wood that is waterlogged. We have wood that is soaking wet. At the time of the sacrifice, let prophet Elijah step forward and pray, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil all licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Remember last week, Elijah, that's what it means. The Lord is God. He commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And he had them brought down and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is a sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. And there is nothing there, he said. So in verse 41, there's something important that I want you to read. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound. Everyone say sound. Everyone say sound. There is the sound of a heavy rain. But then when he told his servant to go look, everyone say look. Look, there was nothing there. In your life, the sound will always come before the sight. The sound of victory will always come before the sight. Do you have an impossible situation in front of you? Do you have something that you feel like you don't know how you're going to get through? That's a hard place to be. We've been there many times when we're believing for something, we're praying for something, and we don't see the results yet. We pray, we don't see the results. There's times where I'm praying like, God, take this away from me, and, he, and I don't see the results. God, protect my kids, protect my family. And I don't see the results. God, do that. And I pray these things and I don't see the results. But see, I have to trust him before I see the results. You have to trust him before, even before you see the results. See, I think that's why Elijah sent his servant. I was thinking about it. I feel like that might even be why he sent his servant to go check and see if there was rain. And not him. Because he knew that if he saw it with his own eyes... That may have taken his disbelief down. But instead, 
I mean, I, I believe he was praying with his face between his knees. I think he was recalling all the things that God had done for him up until that point. Remember we talked about what you know by heart? And I think he was, he was saying in his mind what he knew by heart, which was God will provide for me. That oil that, that the, the widow gave him and the oil didn't run dry and he provided for him with the birds and he rose the boy from the dead. Like all of those things were, was God providing for Elijah. And I think he was tr remembering all of those things. So even though he didn't see the rain, he remembered what God would do. He remembered that God provides and he remembered the jar didn't run out of oil. The boy was raised to life. God brought fire. See, maybe sometimes you just have to close your eyes and listen. Sometimes you maybe for you, you have to close your eyes and remember the goodness of God. Because if you keep your eyes open, you'll be discouraged. If you keep your eyes open, you may lose, lose faith. If you keep your eyes open, you may start to doubt. But if you keep your eyes closed and you remember wow, I shouldn't even be alive right now. Wow, or you, or you think about the times when God's done things in your life, when God spoke to you, when God's revealed his promises. When you think about those things, that'll keep you going. That'll keep you moving from to the next and to the next. Maybe you just need to throw on a worship song. Maybe you need to put this podcast on again and just listen to it over and over again. Whatever it is, that'll help you. But maybe it's time to keep your eyes closed. Maybe we've had our eyes open and just looking at what's in front of us and looking at our circumstances for far too long. Maybe it's time to close our eyes and remember what God's done for us. See, when I felt, when everything in me felt like, man, I'm going to die, I, I literally put a scripture on, the, on, a, on a screensaver on my phone. And anytime that thought would come into my mind, I would, I would open my um, lock screen and I would see that scripture. You will not die. You will live and declare the works of the Lord. I, I had that scripture over and over, and I would say it to myself. Nope, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live, and I will declare the works of the Lord. What is it for you? Find a scripture that combats the thoughts that come into your mind and say it over and over. Put it on your screensaver on your phone so you can see it every time you look at it. There's power in the word. There's power in the Bible. If you find something that speaks to you that, that combats the lie, find a truth that combats that lie. See, when you feel like there's times where we go through, there's times where we feel like we're in a dark place. There's times where you just feel like, man, it's so dark in here. Take advantage of it. I know you will, probably won't hear many pastors say that, but take advantage of the dark place. Because you know why? When it's dark, you can't see anything. You can't see what's around you. When it's dark, you can't see. If you take advantage of the dark places that you are. Remember Paul and Silas were in a dark jail cell, and that's when they were able to worship, when it was dark, when they didn't see everything around them, when they didn't see the circumstances that were surrounding them. God will use your dark place to keep you focused on what you see. But you can listen, you can praise, you can worship him. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Everyone say seven times. Will you keep checking for rain even if it takes seven times? There's so many times where we miss out on what God has for us because we, we give up on the sixth time. And if we would have just checked 
one more time, if we would have just had faith one more time, if we would have just moved forward one more time, we would have stepped into what God has for us. But so many times people stop at the sixth time because they've given up. You know what? It's not going to rain. That was all a lie. On the sixth time, six and a half. So many of us stop at 6.9999. And if we would have just one more time, we would have stepped into what God has for us. The seventh time the servant reported, I'm almost done. The seventh time the servant reported, a, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So now the servant sees a cloud, but he's, he's saying it's a, small, it's a small cloud. And we have a tendency to have a preconceived idea about how things are supposed to look. And we say, uh, you know what, I believe it, and yeah, God bless me, and yeah, the rain's coming, but it's just a small cloud. What I have is just a small cloud the size of a man's hand. But here's the thing, every single rainstorm from a small cloud, every single rainstorm starts with a small cloud the size of my hand. See, uh, earlier this week, my daughter came up to me and she said, hey, dad, um, so I have this, I have this, I want to measure some fa fabric out. And uh, she had a thing and she's like, there's only centimeters on there, but I need you to, I need to measure 55 millimeters for a scrunchie. <laughs> and so... I said, for a scrunchie, like something you put around your hair? I said, 55 millimeters. So I started thinking. I said, okay, well, we can convert centimeters into millimeters. And we showed her, okay, so this is 55 millimeters of fabric. This is not going to be enough for a scrunchie. So I was like, go check it out again. So she re reads the instructions. Turns out it was, what, 55 centimeters, right? So it's 55 centimeters. So I tell you that because... God's unit of measurement is different than our unit of measurement. And if we're constantly looking at things with our unit of measurement, we're never going to have enough. But if we start looking at things the way God does, and we start measuring things the way God does, we'll always have enough. So many times we're sitting here complaining about things that really God's like, what are you missing? What unit of, I mean, millimeters versus centimeters is huge when you're making a scrunchie. You know, unit of measurement is huge. And when your measurement, when your unit of measurement is wrong, you're never going to have enough. See, God has a different unit of measurement than we do. And if we start to measure those things, we're going to start to be grateful. If we start looking at our lives, we start looking at the things that God's given us through his unit of measurement, we'll start to be grateful for a whole lot more than if we continue to look at it the way we see things. Because, see, I can look at, I can look out here and say, oh my gosh, look at, man, look at all this, this empty chair here, and look at those empty chairs here, and, you know, so many pastors would be, like, discouraged, like, oh man, like, oh, we got half of a church, you know, where's everyone at? But that's my unit of measurement. God's unit of measurement is somebody that, walking up in here that didn't even believe in God, and now, you know, they're worshiping in the shower. Didn't even know what they believe in God. They walk up here, do business with Jesus, and now they're worshiping in the shower. You know, or it's, it's somebody who's not able to go to church for whatever reason, you know, work, whatever. And now my boy Easy's up here playing the guitar, talking about pulling into Summer Moon, blasting 
uh, reckless love in his truck system. Like, those are, that's transformation, guys. Like, that's somebody now, he, like, he's able to serve God. He's able to hear the word and it not conflict with his work schedule. That's God's unit of measurement. That's how God measures things. Not by how many people are in the seats. Now, the more people that are in the seats, the more people's lives can be transformed. But I'm not going to be discouraged because I'm not, I'm not looking at it through that, kind of, that unit of measurement. I'm not looking at millimeters here. I'm looking at centimeters. Does that make sense? When you look at what you have, you have to look at it with God's unit of measurement. See, I can go on and on about just the lives that have been changed with the little group that we have. Um, don't look at it with the wrong unit of measurement. On those days where you feel like <sighs> nobody sees everything that I do. On those days where you feel like all I'm doing is raising my kids. What I do doesn't matter. <laughs> On those days where you feel like you don't have a purpose. Those days where you feel like your everyday life doesn't matter. The little things that you see, the, the cloud that's the size of a man's hand doesn't matter. Remember that God's unit of measurement is different than ours. What you're doing matters. Everyone stand up. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to, to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking in his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So he ran 12 miles, somewhere around there. He was ready for the rain. And I'm here to tell you, as you're thinking about your life, as you're evaluating your life right now, rain is on its way. The rain that you've been waiting for is on its way. See, I don't know where your cloud is right now. I don't know if your cloud is still in the sea. There's a process to a rainstorm. Your cloud could still be in the sea. Your cloud could be in the sky. Your cloud could be on its way to the sky. Your cloud could be in the sky, filling up, waiting to burst. I don't know where it is. I mean, if you remember back in elementary school when y'all learned the rain cycle, at the beginning of the rain cycle, there's a process going on that you don't see. You don't see what's going on in the sea, in the sea, the S-E-A. You don't S-E-E what's going on in the S-E-A for the rainstorm because the clouds that produce a rainstorm start in the sea where we can't see and that's what's going on in your life you don't know where where your cloud is you don't know where it is in the process but I'm telling you keep looking keep looking you might be on number five keep looking you might be on number six and a half keep looking because you will get to that point where you hit number seven and you go back and you see a cloud and that rain opens up and there's your rainstorm. 
See, you can't control what stage your reign is. You can't control that. But what you can control is how are you going to answer the question that Elijah asked? How long will you waver between two opinions? Ask yourself that. How long will you waver between two opinions? Because if you believe what God said about you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter even what you think if you believe what God said about you. If that's the opinion you're going to believe, that's what matters. See, for some of you, it might, not, it might be whether you believe in God or not. For some of you, that's the question it might be. For some of you, it might be whose opinion are you going to believe? For some of you, it might be what unit of measurement are you looking at the things in your life? What is it for you? Because the presence of God is here, and he wants to touch you, and he wants you to know that rain is coming. It might not look like it. It might not even feel like it. But keep looking, because rain is on its way. Dear God, I come to you right now, God. And I thank you so much, God, that there is a process going on in our lives. There's a rainstorm coming in every one of our lives, God. And I thank you that we don't know where that process is. We don't know how long before it's coming, but I thank you that you do. God, and I thank you, God, that we can worship you before the rainstorm because you promised us that you can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we can ask or think. You promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. You promised us that we are more than a conqueror. You promised us that greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world or any other circumstances that I'm facing. And I thank you that I can stand on that promise before I see anything that looks like evidence to back that promise. And that's faith. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. And God, I thank you, God, that today is the first day to the rest of our lives, God. And I pray that, that you would just There's, a, there's somebody in here that, that needs strength. I even see you saying and praying, I just feel so weak. And I don't know if that's physically, I don't know if that's spiritually. You just, when you look in the mirror, you just, you see weakness, you feel weakness. And the Lord would say that he's going to, that, that your reign is strength tonight. Your reign is strength tonight. Thank you, Jesus. There is somebody in here that that you need to quit 
You need to quit worrying about what other people think about you. I was talking to you when I said, how long will you waver between two opinions? God chose you. You weren't born by accident. You have a purpose. God knows the plans that he has for you. And those plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Those plans are to give you a hope and a future. I feel like you, you're so worried about what other people think that it's caused you to not even be able to look forward to things. Or maybe that's somebody different. Somebody is hard for them to look forward to things. I don't even know, I don't even know what that means. I'm trusting that you know what that means. God, God hears you. You can start hoping for things. You can start wishing for things. You can start looking forward to things. God's presence is here, man. Y'all just, just pray and let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. His presence is here. Y'all's reign is coming. Y'all's reign is coming, and you're going to know it's God because he's going to take an impossible situation and show you what he can do with it. Jeremiah, just play for a little bit more, a few more minutes, and just, just pray and let God speak to you.
Paul's reign is coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. If y'all need any prayer for anything, um, my wife and I will be up here. More than happy to pray for y'all.